Welcome to Save the Cowboy. This is Pastor Kevin Weatherby, and I invite you to saddle up and ride with us as we strike a trot to the backside of God's green pastures and learn how to live for Him. Years ago, we were out at the ranch, and I got a call from one of my bird hunters that we had the ranch lease to, and he goes, hey, he said, I've got a favor to ask. I was like, all right. He said, I've got some of my clients. He was a businessman. He said, I've got some of my clients from uh, Morgan City, Louisiana, up here, and we're spo- I'm supposed to take them quail hunting. We've been quail hunting for three days in Sweetwater, Texas, and we hadn't got but like two shots in three days. He said, what would you charge me to bring those guys out and, and let them hunt some blue quail? And I said, I just, you know, just bring them out, you know, we'll, we'll figure out something. And so I charged them like 25 bucks a head, and they were like, it must not be good if it's $25 a head. But they came out, and they showed up that morning, and all of them talked funny. And, uh, I mean, they were straight out of southern Louisiana, man. And uh, so they went hunting all that day, and the wind blew like 9,000 miles an hour. And uh, they came in that evening, and, I mean, I knew how the hunting would be. It was non-existent. And, man, they had the biggest smiles on their faces. And I said, I said, man, I'm sorry about the hunting. And they were like, what? It was fantastic. And I was like, y'all shot some quail? And they said, no, but y'all got the biggest jackrabbits we've ever seen, and we hunted those to extinction. (laughs) I never knew a jackrabbit could make a Cajun so happy. And so anyway, I was like, look, what are y'all doing tomorrow? And they're like, I don't know. I said, why don't y'all come back tomorrow? The wind ain't supposed to blow so bad, and uh, why don't y'all come try to get you some quail? And they said, well, how much is that going to cost? And I said, nothing. It's not about the... It's not about the money. I want y'all to enjoy uh, coming out here to West Texas. And so they came out the next day, and, and, and I think they nearly got their limit. And that evening, we were standing there talking, and I mean, they were just thanking me. Or at least that's what the translator said, that, that they, they were saying thank you. And uh, one of them piped up, and he said, How about you want to go out and get a hunting? And I said, What? He said, how's about you want to go out a bit of hunting? I thought he had like a piece of chicken in his mouth or something. And I was like, you mean like hunt alligators? He's like, that's what I said. And I was like, yeah, that would be great. And you know, in the back of your mind, you're thinking, okay, these guys are just being nice. You know, alligator season was just getting over. It was going to be nearly a year. And I didn't think bad about it, but as they drove off, I was like, yeah, right, alligator hunting. I'll never hear from those guys again. Time went on, and I forgot about the alligator hunting, and I got a call from the guy that leased the land that had brought them, and he said, hey, my buddy's just called, and alligator season starts in about two weeks. You still going? I was like, really? He's like, yeah, they asked for you. They said to be sure and bring you. I'm going down there. I was like, well, yeah, going alligator hunting. You know what I mean? Bring my 30-06 with the you know, 42 variable scope power or whatever's. I don't know that much about guns. You pull the trigger. I got the, the longer they are, the farther they shoot. That's all I know. So he said, you don't need to bring nothing. I was like, man, I bet you if we're hunting alligators, there's like these prehistoric crocodiles going to be 92 feet. It looks like Lake Placid. We're going to go hunt us some Lake Placid alligators with bazookas and everything. We get down there. And it was a chore just getting to Louisiana. I had never been there. God bless y'all from Louisiana. It is, when you cross from Texas and you start getting into the swamps, it is just a bridge. For thousands of miles, it's just a bridge. And you go, dun-dun, 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 
and it makes you angry after a while. So we get there that night. I mean, I can't hardly sleep because I don't know if I'm going to get eaten by an alligator tomorrow or whatever. And so I get up, man, and I dress just like this. And that guy's like, uh, you don't want to wear that. I was like, what do you want me to wear? He said, I'd wear some shorts. I said, you don't want me to wear that. <laughs> he said, no, I'm serious. If you got them blue jeans on, what's going to happen is you're going to get that swamp water on you, and you're going to catch some swamp funk, and you're going to be itching all day. I was like, well, I'd rather scare people than itch all day. So I put on some shorts, and my legs were embarrassed. They turned bright red before we even got out the door. He had to put on sunscreen when we got in the truck. And so we get out there, and I've got these little water shoes on, and i got my button-up cowboy shirt on with these shorts. <laughs> Man, I was styling. So we get there, and we get in this boat that's about this big. And we start driving out across there, and I was like, Man, we're going too fast. We've got to slow down if we're going to shoot us some alligators. I can't see nothing. And so anyway... They tried to talk to me. They tried to tell me what was going on, but I just kind of shook my head. And, you know, it was kind of like we do in, in Spanish. When, you don't, uh, when somebody's not understanding what you say, you talk louder, and maybe that'll help them. They were talking to me. Hey, God, I'm I was like, good. Good. Whatever. And so we get up there, and there's this piece of cotton rope tied to a branch, a big branch in the swamp, and then there's this cane pole stuck down in the, in the mud, and on top of this cane pole was a clothespin, and that rope was tied off to the tree, and it kind of looped like this, and then it, it was supposed to be holding the, the uh, what do you call that, clothespin, was holding a deal right above the water, and there was this rotten piece of chicken that even I could smell, and I can't smell nothing if I got dookie on my boots. But I could smell that chicken, and there's this big old hook about this big, and there's this rotten piece of chicken with some white flagging tape, and it's about this high above the water. So them alligators, they'd be swimming by, and they smell that stinky chicken, and they jump up there and grab a hold of it, and then they're hooked. So we just drive around. We ain't looking for alligators. We're looking for this thing that's down. Because if it's down, and that chicken's not floating, there's a gator on it. Well, sure enough, we passed one, and it was still standing there, and then everybody started, I didn't understand what they were saying, but they was pointing, and I saw this little white line going down into the water, and it was moving. I was like, oh my gosh, we got us a gator. We got us a gator. And so we go start pulling up there in this boat about this big, and the guy reaches down, and he grabs a cotton rope, and he opens up the bazooka case and pulls out a twenty-two about this big. And he goes, you're going to be the tutor. And he handed me, and I was like, is this like for us in case we start getting eaten? Don't we need something a little bigger? He said, he said no, you shoot it in the head. They went to pulling this gator up. Mine went to firing like it was a rattlesnake. And they're like, wow, wow. I was like, what? And then they pointed. This is a live alligator. And they were like putting their hands down there. Shoot it right here. I was like, you shoot it right there. So I've got this picture. And it's kind of, you can't really see it because my legs like uh, lens flared the picture. But I'm like this. I don't know why you had to aim with a, you know, 22 like this, but I'm taking careful aim. One thing I learned that them crocodiles have been around since God created the Garden of Eden for a reason. Them things is double tough. I shot them things and they said, they said, that'll be good. And they threw it in there. That sucker was sitting there looking at me. And I said, I don't think this one's dead yet. They're like, oh, it'd take a minute for him to die. 
I'm like, could you point him the other direction while he dies? <laughs> I don't cotton much to this gator looking at me like I'm a piece of ham and cheese. I looked at him and I said, I'm real bony. There ain't nothing good. <laughs> so we got going in a boat this big. And before it was all said and done, we had 19 alligators in this boat this big. The gators were stacked up like firewood in the bottom of this boat, and literally the water line is like this far below the deal. And we're going along, and we, kill, we got this one big gator, and it didn't matter how many times you shot that fool, that guy wasn't going to die. He would, he would sit there, and he was kind of on my right, and I was sitting right here, and he'd open up his mouth, and he'd try to bite me, but it was in slow motion. And I'd be like, hey, hey! The gator's still alive. They're like, he's going to die. I said, he was going to die an hour and a half ago. So one of them Cajuns, they got mad at me, whining and complaining. He got up and he started shooting the gator in the boat. And I told him, hey! Don't shoot in the boat! He said, man, you, you, can't, you can't, what did he say? Uh, you can't uh, fix Texans or, you know, you can't satisfy. He said, there's no satisfaction in you. Wait a minute, that kind of sounded Chinese. But you got the, you got the, you got the picture. And so anyway, you know, the guy driving the boat is right in front of me. I guess I was his gator bodyguard, so it didn't eat the guy driving the boat. I was sitting right in front of him, and we're tootling along. And they shot that gator again, and his eyes were still open. He was still trying to bite me. And that guy said, just pick your foot up, put it on his mouth, and just hold his mouth shut. Uh, you want me to put my toes down there? He said, yeah. So I picked, uh, picked up my foot, and I closed that big gator's mouth. And I stepped on it real hard. And we was going back to the deal. And has anybody ever seen them, them sport fishing carp that they brought over from Africa that when they, get, when they get boogered, they jump up out of the water? We run into a herd of those. I never laughed so hard in my life. I didn't care if the gators were going to bite me or not. We're tootling along through there in this little flat bottom boat about this big and water line about this far below. We got four million pounds of alligator in the boat. And this fish about this big jumps up out of the water, smacks this guy right in the face. Whack! I laughed so hard. Nobody else thought it was funny. I don't know why. Cajuns, cowboys, we got a different sense of humor. And so before we know it, man, it was like gnats. These carp are jumping everywhere. Cajuns are going down, taking cover. And I am laughing until one of them gets me. I tell you what. You go home and have your wife or your husband grab a tuna fish about this big. And you close your eyes and start laughing real hard and let them smack you with it. And that's what it feels like. It bloodied one guy's nose. That was even funnier. <laughs> I have never had so much fun in all of my life with people that I couldn't understand. <laughs> it was fantastic. If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 32 through 35 today. <clears throat> Acts 4, 32 through 35. It says, What in the world? It was like I'm going through puberty again. It says, During those days, the entire community of believers was deeply united in heart and soul to such an extent that they stopped claiming private ownership of their possessions. Instead, they held everything in common. The apostles, with great power, gave their eyewitness reports of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Everyone was surrounded by an extraordinary grace. Not a single person in the community was in need because those who had been affluent sold their houses or land 
and brought the proceeds to the apostles. Then they distributed the funds to individuals according to their needs. Acts chapter 4 is telling about the birth of the Christian church. No more is there the sacrifices and the taking stuff to the temple and stuff like that. Now we have a personal relationship with God through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And we can go straight to the throne and it's a brand new church. It's a brand new covenant. It's a brand new way of doing things. And Acts tells the story of that emerging church. But let's look at those individually. In verse 32, During those days the entire community of believers was deeply united in heart and soul to such an extent that they stopped claiming private ownership of their possessions. Instead, they held everything in common. What does that mean? That's crazy. But let's take a look at that and dissect it just a little bit. It's all God's that He has entrusted us with, isn't it? God, I mean, and I talked about this a couple of months ago, that I was working on realizing that I have absolutely nothing. I own absolutely nothing. Now, there are some things that God has blessed me with that I'm a caretaker of. My truck, my kids, my wife. All of those do not belong to me. They belong to God, and God has entrusted me with the safekeeping and everything like that. But none of it belongs to me. I may rent a house, but it's not mine. God provided that. It's all God's that He has entrusted to us. We share what God has given us. And that's what it's talking about right there. They were deeply united in heart in such a, an extent that they stopped claiming private ownership of their possessions. We share what God has given us. The real blessing is in the sharing, not possessing. I mean, one of the great... What do you give... God, He's God. Have you ever thought about that? What would make God happy? When you can speak something into existence. When you can just, you can have whatever you want. You're God. What is the one thing that would make Him happy? He gave it all away. Because Jesus said in Matthew 28, All authority and in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. God gave everything to His Son. We share what God has given us. The real blessing is in the sharing, not the possessing. We may think that we have this big ranch, or we may think that we have all of this stuff, but the real blessing is sharing it with others, not keeping it to ourselves. <clears throat> the other day I got a, well, it's been a while back, my first book called The Great Cow Mission, which is just a collection of short stories and cowboy stories and stuff like that with a biblical message attached to it. I got a call from Jay Kershey down in Texas, and he was talking to a feller that had bought one of those books at their church. And he was a welder on a pipeline. And so he's sitting over there, and of course, you know, those pipe fitters, they'd get everything ready, and then the welder would go over there, and he'd just weld around it, and then he'd wait for him to get another piece over there. And so his, his welding truck is parked right there, and all these guys are, are, are fitting this pipe together and making sure everything's lined up just right. And this guy is just hoorahing with laughter. And finally, whenever they got done... He shut that book, and one of them said, What are you laughing about? He goes, Man, you've got to read this book. They said, Well, what is it? He said, Oh, it's just a bunch of cowboy stories, and some of them make you think, and they got a good message to them. He said, i got one more story in it, and how about I give it to you after I get done? He said, Man, I think I'd like that. So that feller welded that one bead, and then he came back, and he got that book, and he finished that one little story, and he signed his name to it. And he handed it to that guy, and he said, I'm going to give you this, and I don't want it back. He said, but what I want you to do is I want you to read every word of it, and then I want you to sign it, and I want you to give it to a friend. The last time that guy saw that book on that job site, it had 12 signatures on it. Now, granted, they didn't buy 12 books. And you know what? That is the best 12 books I've never sold. 
Because it's not in the possessing, it's in the sharing. That guy took something that he had bought and shared it with others. <clears throat> That's what we're supposed to do, too. I don't care about the book sale. I care about people reading the Word of God in whatever form it comes in. If you think you're blessed by what you have, then I dare you to realize the blessing and share it. Think about that. I had 3,000 acres of high-quality dirt and tumbleweed to go hunting on. Now, granted, I charged them 25 bucks, but that was just because they wouldn't come unless they paid for something, so I charged them 25 bucks. But it, didn't, it wasn't about the money. It was about creating an experience. What do you have? I'm not talking about going out and buying something and giving it. What do you have now that you could just share? have a piece of property somebody can go ride on? Do you have a house that you'll host a dinner for? I mean, there's thousands and thousands of ways. In verse 33, it says, The apostles with great power gave their eyewitness reports of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Everyone was surrounded by an extraordinary grace. And think about this. We're building a foundation on which the new church... Now, the foundation itself, the bedrock, is Jesus Christ being the Son of God, paying the ultimate price on the cross and dying for our sins and raising to life three days later, the first fruits. But when the actual church starts getting built up, there's a foundation being set. In verse 32, it says, uh, the preachers, or in verse 33, it says, the apostles with great power gave their eyewitness reports of the resurrection of the Lord. Guess what? The preachers were preaching. Isn't that a novel idea? The preachers were out preaching in the places that the people had provided. Think about that for a second. Everybody willingly shared their stuff, and that's where the preachers went and preached, was maybe out on this ranch, or maybe in this building, or maybe in this home. The apostles didn't go around wondering where they were going to have service. The people provided the places to have service. This is the way church is supposed to be. Too often the preacher spends most of his time trying to provide a place to preach, and too often the people try to tell the preacher what the sermon should be. It's exactly backwards. If we want a growing ministry, last week I talked about the mission of Save the Cowboy, the national ministry, I talked about the vet program, I talked about the horse program. When you put all that together, we got to be sure that we're biblical in the approach and that we all pitch in and do, and I'm not asking any of you for anything. If God lays it on your heart to share something, share it. The result, what happens when people share what God has provided them and what happens when preachers unashamedly preach the Word of God in the goodness of grace, what happens is that they all share. And what I love, in verse 33, it says, everyone was surrounded by extraordinary grace. I'd love to be surrounded by extraordinary grace. Grace, can't speak. What is extraordinary grace? I mean, there, there's, we could sit here and preach 19 sermons on what grace actually is. But I think that what they're talking about here is happiness and purpose, a belonging to something eternal. Isn't that what we're all searching for? Purpose, happiness. The only way to get it is through Jesus Christ. I've never met anybody that was truly, truly happy that didn't know that they were made for a greater purpose than themselves. In verse 34, Not a single person in the community was in need because those who had been affluent sold their houses or lands and brought the proceeds to the apostles. Then they distributed the funds to the individuals according to their needs. 
Now, I want to say something about right there because I know that a lot of people, whenever they hear that verse, they said, not a single person in the community was in need because those who had been affluent sold their houses or lands and brought the proceeds to the apostles. I am not asking you to sell your house. Okay? That is not what this says. There's three things about this. This was voluntary. People did it on their own. The apostles didn't ask them to do it. This was voluntary because the grace cannot be bartered or traded for. You can't just say, you can't make a deal with God. Okay, God, I'll tell you what, I'm going to trade you this right here and you give me this over here. That's trying to buy God's grace. You can't buy God's grace. It didn't involve all private property. I mean, a, a lot of preachers will say that, you know, you can't own anything. Man, these people probably didn't sell their houses. Now, if they had 19 of them and they had a, a condo up in the mountains or something, if they only went every three years, they probably sold it just because it wasn't being used. They put the money to better use. But it wasn't all private property. They didn't all sell their houses and live in cardboard shacks. It was not a membership requirement. Think about that. You didn't, the apostles wasn't standing there saying, okay, if you want to be a member of this church, you got to do this and this and this and this. No, what they said is if you want to be a member of the body of Christ, you've got to believe in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, that He died for your sins and was raised three days later. They did the things that they did because God laid it on their heart and they wanted to. It wasn't a sacrifice. It was a sacrifice to keep it and they were tired of it. Whenever these people did that, this is the entrance gate that all may find the grace of God. I want you to think about that for a second. How do you get to one of these ranches? I mean, God has provided a place for Save the Cowboy. He's provided a place for, uh, for us to meet. He's provided a place for uh, the horse program, the vet program. He's provided everything. We just don't know where the gate is yet. But it's all there. Because there's nothing on this piece of dirt that we call earth that doesn't belong to God. Ride forever. R-I-D-E is our motto and also our way of finding our purpose for the kingdom of God. You don't know how many times people say, man, I want to get involved, I want to do something, I just don't know what it is that I want to do. Starting today, we're going to go through the R, the I, the D, and the E. And you will find your purpose in not just with Save the Cowboy, but in your relationship with God. R stands for resources. You know what? Given to God is never a chore. Think about this. I gave, actually God gave through me an opportunity that, I don't remember, there was like six or seven of those guys from Louisiana came out and hunted West Texas jackrabbits. They'll never forget that. And you know what? It cost me absolutely nothing. Didn't cost me a thing. And did it cost them anything to let me go ride in their boat? Absolutely not. Giving to God doesn't cost anything. A lot of people think when I give to God, I've got to go out and get something new and give it. Man, use what God has already given you. It's as easy as that. You know, this old world is full of tough trails and scary switchbacks. Our prayer is that God spoke to you today through His Word. If you heard God talking to you, just get on the Internet and visit us at SaveTheCowboy.com. We're trying to reach every corner of the globe wherever there might be a cowboy or cowgirl that needs to hear God's Word in a way that they can understand but we can't do that without your support. You can become a saddle partner with us at our website, www.savethecowboy.com, or contact us at 303-621-0133. Get out there and do what God's telling you to do.
This program was brought to you by Western LLC, facility development for the oil and gas and aviation industries across the western United States. Reach them at westernllc.net. Also by the good folks at Integrity Auto Repair in Kiowa, Colorado, and Comanche Creek Enterprises. Contact them today for no-till drilling and burrowing rodent control.